0: Hey, podcast listeners, we started creating these live events in the Trip Scout Nation Facebook group as part of our travel from home movement. Now, we created Travel from Home to help give travelers the joy of travel every single day during these times of quarantine. So if you're not in this group, you should definitely join. We're hosting these calls on Zoom and you'll have a chance to ask all of these guests uh, questions yourself. And we have loads of great events coming up like Andrew Zimmern, Chris Burkhard, Allison Levine, Alistair Humphreys, Lee Abamonte, and today we have the special guest, Rolf Potts. So for those of you not familiar with Rolf, I could not think of a better person to discuss this topic of traveling from home with. I believe he is one of the most important writers and thinkers in travel. His Vagabonding book is considered to be the Bible of long-term travel, and I'm not alone in this view. Tim Ferriss actually said that Vagabonding was one of his top 10 most life-changing books, and it was one of the only things he carried with him on his 18-month trip around the world that inspired the 4-Hour Workweek. So if you haven't read Vagabonding, I strongly recommend it. I have gifted it many times. It is more than a how-to manual. It is a travel philosophy that teaches you how to think about travel And life, and I can speak from personal experience that it will make every trip you ever take, whether in the far corners of the earth or to the next neighborhood, or in the case of these times, to your living room, uh, much more enjoyable, interesting, and intentional. Vagabonding is not all Rolf is known for. He is also the host of the Deviate podcast. He also has reported from more than 60 countries for publications like National Geographic, The New Yorker, Outside Magazine the New York Times, Sports Illustrated, NPR, Travel Channel, and more. And here is a fun fact for you. My first experience ever writing and talking about travel publicly was actually for Rolf's blog as I was doing field reports on my first vagabonding trip as I made my way through parts of Europe, the Middle East, and up the eastern coast of Africa. So without further ado, Rolf, welcome and thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, glad to be talking to you under these strange circumstances.
0: One of the first things I did when I started to self-isolate was to dust off my copy of Vagabonding, which I've read many times. And I just happened to open it to a page where I had some, something highlighted many years ago from you. And I wanted to read that because I think it's uniquely applicable right now. So it said, the thing is, Few of us ever are where we are. Instead of experiencing the reality of a moment or a day, our minds and souls are elsewhere, obsessing on the past or the future, fretting and fantasizing about other situations. Uh, and so while you were clearly talking about being more present and mindful while traveling and not constantly connected to being back home, I think this couldn't be more applicable uh, the, to the current times, but just kind of in the reverse. So let's start off with what advice do you have for people who are used to traveling, you know, used to using travel as their way to grow, break routines, seek more life, be more present, uh, you know, for bringing their, and to bring this philosophy uh, into their home during this period of self-isolation?
1: Yeah, well, I, I hate to be optimistic in a silly way, but there are there are some parallels uh, about, how this extraordinary time can sort of channel some of the same spiritual aspects of travel. You know, travel is an extraordinary time in your life when you plan a trip to the other side of the world, you are breaking out of your habits and routines, as you said, and you're trying to embrace an extraordinary view on life. Now, sadly, most of us are trapped in our homes right now, but like in the historical sense, in the, in the life sense, we're in this, we're at this extraordinary moment where we are trying to, get through this time where we're not really sure what's going to happen next. And I think there's a lot of lessons from travel that can help inform your situation now, from as, we, as I said before we started recording, from like being stuck in a hostile dorm room with 12 people in their smelly socks, actually makes being stuck in your house with your family maybe seem easy by comparison. Not really knowing what's gonna happen next in a city that you know nothing about can teach you some lessons for what, not knowing what's gonna happen next um in your in your local community and and how just historically this is going to be played out but but again having that optimism that traveler's optimism to know what's going to happen next and so one piece of advice i might give i could probably do a little bit better for it myself is to unplug a little bit and it seems strange you know we're all trapped in our houses why on earth would we unplug from this great resource you know the the online connected world that connects us with so many other people well um In a way, it allows you to slow down and embrace time and embrace where you are even during the quarantine time. You can just sit still. We were joking as it started about harmonicas. And so for the listeners who weren't sure what we were joking about, I was just saying that my grandfather, you know, he lived, he was a Kansas farmer. He lived a long time before there was the internet or so many of these mass media things we have right now. He would hang out with his family, play the harmonica. I said he rolled cigarettes. That's probably not recommended anymore. Um, He would play pinochle. He would talk with his family. He would compare notes. In in a way, this is time travel. This gives us a chance to just sit and be still with our families. And so even though it might not be as exciting as, as taking a walk in a neighborhood on the other side of the world, it allows you to slow down and sort of experience daily life in a new way. And so I'm not going to say that everybody should unplug totally, and God knows I haven't unplugged totally, and we're all connected right now. But just give yourself the luxury of unplugging from that news cycle. You know, you can go for a day, you can go for 12 hours without getting the latest COVID-19 update, and in a way, it, it allows you to reconnect, like travel, with a whole new way. I say new way, but it's an old way of being human of just of just sitting and enjoying where you are and the people in your room, and sort of fighting the anxiety of what's happening right now, just by being where you are with who you are Um, easier said than done, but it's a nice thing to aspire to right now.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good segue. You know, one of the things, like travel has the ability to turn every day, all the mundane experiences that you talked about uh, into its own adventure. And this is something, you know, you and I both have talked about to our audience a lot or how a simple trip to the market to get more toothpaste can become, an amazing uh, adventure and experience in itself in, in a foreign country. It'll likely bring all sorts of cultural lessons, logistical problem solving, genuine social connection. Uh, meanwhile, our home life is often filled with habits. You know, we've optimized it for efficient routines. We have one-click shopping on Amazon Prime. Um, how do you find adventure and joy in the mundane when you're, when you're not traveling? And what do you recommend for people to uh, what, do, what, what do you recommend people to do to deeper engage with their own environment that is so familiar with
1: them? I think maybe one thing that you can do is is unpack those habits a little bit and and grow to appreciate them a little bit. You know, it's, it's funny, I'll probably refer to my parents a lot here because I'm based in, in Kansas and I live next door to my parents. And in a way, I can't really socialize with anybody else right now because of the asymptomatic nature of COVID-19. I don't want to infect my parents who are very high risk. So in a way, I've, I've, I've really bonded with my parents. In a way, it's, it's reversed, it's flipped the parent-child dynamic, much as it does when I travel with my parents, where I'm sort of bossing them around. Um, but actually, my parents, when we have traveled, they're good travelers because they're intimidated. When they're in Paris, they're not, they're sort of looking at travel, uh, tourist attractions, but they're also checking out how people walk their dogs in Paris, checking out how well-dressed people are when they go to the grocery store, in Paris and how my dad will say, well, that was like the 1950s. People dressed up a lot more in the US and people still do that in Paris. That's sort of a tangent I realize, but um, I've I've actually had these conversations during quarantine with my parents who are my neighbors. And I I realize that not everybody is going to be, uh, lives next door to their parents when they're not traveling and and that's going to affect how they are. But this is a time, like oftentimes when we want to get past the tourist level of travel, we decide we're going to learn something you know, gosh, this Thai food tastes great. What would it be like to cook it? I bet I could entertain my friends if I knew how to cook this food. Well, now suddenly we, now that the supply chain has, has shaken up a little bit, we can do the same thing here. We can learn things. We can learn how to cook those foods in a way, we don't really have to go to Thailand to learn how to cook Thai food. It's more fun. Um, I just suggested people unplug, but you could probably go online and find recipes or even YouTube tutorials about cooking Thai food. Whether or not you're in a position to buy Thai ingredients is another thing. Um, learn how to fix your car, you know. Um, learn, actually, this is another thing that I've gone through with my parents is, uh, or with myself, is go through all that crap you've, you have in your closet and and just sort of see what relationship you have with your past is, you know, I've gone through old travel photos. I've gone through old journals. I've started keeping a journal. Actually, I was keeping a journal this year, but it, it's, it's so much more granular because this is an extraordinary time. This is experientially so new, that in a way I'm, tra- I'm journaling as much as I do when I, when I travel. So that's one piece of advice I might have. I'm, I'm, I've surprised myself by how much energy I put into my journal. It's therapeutic in a sense, but it's also gonna be this relic of a time you know, when I was confused, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I have yet to learn how to fix my car. Um, but there are so many things that we take for granted that we have this efficient, global capitalist supply chain of things bringing into us. And we don't really know where our shirts were made. We don't really know where our food was grown. I'm not saying that you actually have to do the homework on that. It could be interesting, though, learn how to make do with what food you can get. Um, learn how to fix your plumbing, all this stuff, you know, that it, it, it could be dangerous for me to um, to invite a plumber at this point if he's asymptomatic and put my parents in danger. So maybe I'll learn how to at least do basic plumbing, fit, swap out a washer type thing. When you, when you think about it, when I compare myself to my farmer grandfather who could fix everything and every vehicle on his farm, was less globally sophisticated with me, but was so much more talented and could play the harmonica. <laughs> um, It it just occurs to me that there's so much that if I get bored, I'm going to teach myself plumbing or something because again, we're slowing down. We're not in an exotic place. We're not in foreign places. We're in our own homes. But Why not find a surprise in your own home? Why not teach yourself something that you had no idea you didn't know? I love that. And, and
0: so as soon as you started saying, giving all of the, all of those ideas, like my, my instinct was to great. I'm going to write down every single thing I've ever wanted to learn or know how to do and I'm going to go through them. And, you know, then I remind myself like core to your philosophy uh, is leaving room for serendipity and spontaneity. And you and I, you and I have talked a lot about this together that one of our favorite travel activities is just going out and walking in a new place until something interesting happens. And uh, there are even studies that we've talked about, about how getting lost really is good for your brain and can really uh, also increase your relationship to your surroundings and your affection to the, the place you're in. Um, so can you talk about one, why serendipity and spontaneity is so important to you during travel? And then two, you know, how do you incorporate you know, serendipity and spontaneity and that willingness to you know, get lost uh, while you're at home and quarantined?
1: Well, when you travel, um, not micromanaging your journey, I think is important because it allows you to be surprised. Because I always say that as much research as you do, and there's so much research you can do, especially online these days, you're gonna be so much smarter as a traveler after a week on the road, or maybe a day on the road. You're gonna be in the place. You're gonna be smelling it. You know? You're gonna be hearing it. You're, not, you're gonna be seeing, of course, but you're gonna be in the five senses way you're gonna be in this place. And if you're just judging everything by that bucket list, not to knock bucket list, but if you're just judging everything by the expectations you have of the place, you're not going to allow yourself to be completely surprised and charmed. And again, going back to my parents who I talk to all the time now, because we're sort of quarantined here together. I've been to China and Mongolia with them on one trip. And I also took them to Paris Prague. And I've been to some other places like DC and New York. Invariably what they have remembered are just these random circumstances. My mom we were walking across the mall some George Wash in, in D.C. Some George Washington University play, students were playing bocce. And so we just started talking to them. And my mom played bocce for the first time in her 60s and was actually pretty good at it. And so she, she remembers that in a way that she doesn't remember like seeing the Washington Monument, you know. It's that because she had the wherewithal to just ask somebody what game they were playing, she had an experience, right? So in their naivety, my parents are actually pretty good travelers because they're just interested in everything they see. Um, they, they sort of, they defer all of the planning to me and it allows them to be kids again. And the great thing about kids is they don't care what you're supposed to do. They, they're just gonna get excited about whatever they see. This is a tough thing in under quarantine to be spontaneous, but sometimes it happens to me by accident. Um, and I live in the country, I'm, I'm based in a rural area and I'm sure that a lot of people, um, right now are are based in cities and it won't have this option, but the coyotes are going crazy in, in Kansas. Like nobody's on the roads anymore. Nobody's doing the same rural duties. The coyotes are just loving it. They're, they're, they're screaming like banshees every night. And so it has sort of reminded me how small a part of nature human beings are uh, and so I want to go on some more hikes around my place just to see, well, what are the wild turkeys up to? What are the deer up to? Because clearly the coyotes are confused about why the human presence in this part of Kansas is so much smaller now. Another thing I'll mention, as far as spontaneity goes, it's been a little bit cold here recently, but the sunshine was, was nice today. So I went out on my deck and I sat in my Adirondack chair and just sat in the sun and with sort of an empty brain. And after about five minutes, I thought, what a luxury. I'm just sitting in the sun. You know, I'm just sort of breathing in the air and enjoying what's happening. And so that was almost an accidental bit of serendipity here during the quarantine. And maybe now I'm going to plan that. Maybe I'm going to plan five days of empty-brained chair sitting in the sun when I have the chance to do that. But, and again, I have some advantages being in a rural area that I can walk for a mile and not be pretty sure I don't have to see anybody. I I have to walk four miles before I hit a road that isn't made of dirt. There's no pavement within four miles of where I live. But I think there's other ways to do that. There's ways of walking around. There's ways of sort of surprising yourself. And I think if you allow yourself to, we're all right now, we're jarred out of our habits and our routines. And don't resent that. In a way, it's a gift to not be beholden to your routines. And I think you can, you can sort of rediscover the 600 square feet if that's what you have of your own home if you just don't micromanage your quarantine time. So... Um, Again, easier said than done, but don't set limits on travel, but don't set limits on what you can do during your quarantine with the people you're stuck with.
0: It's it's a good reminder. It's something that I always uh, try to remind myself. You know, if I'm in Goa and I see someone playing cricket, I'm like, hey, can you teach me how to play cricket? Can I try? But I don't think I've ever walked down uh, the National Mall in Washington, D.C. and asked a couple of guys to show me bocce ball. So it's, it's, it's a good reminder. Um, so I want to segue this also a little bit into like the, the perspective that we will travel again um, uh, soon, hopefully. And so, you know, I wanted to ask you, travel has changed a lot since you started Vagabonding 20 years ago, and a lot of it for good, like it's certainly more accessible and possible for people, but also for bad. And I think every generation of travelers seem to judge the younger generation's way of traveling. And you know, also look back, uh, at the, uh, with envy about a purer and less developed tourist experience about the generation before them. Uh, now I'm a little younger than you, but I've also, I'm also very concerned with some of the things going on in travel up until this point, for example, you know, over tourism, flash tourism, the over commercialization of popular destinations, a hyper connectivity of doing things, you know, only for the Instagram, uh. But destinations and travelers have never really had a worldwide opportunity to just pause and reset like we have now. So when, when we do eventually return to travel, what are, what are your hopes and what is your advice to make sure we actually get it right? And so we can, you know, come both get the most out of our experience, but also preserve what we love about travel for generations to
1: come. Well, you mentioned a couple of things, uh, you know, over tourism and then sort of this performative travel that happens on Instagram. Um, And over travel is pretty easy to solve these days. Actually, for those destinations that are over traveled, that is a systemic issue that I won't be able to just toss off a solution to right now. But there's always been the phrase, get off the beaten path and literally just get off the beaten path. It's not that hard. Um, And if you feel stressed out that there's a bunch of tourists in the, in the, you know, the Tuileries Louvre area of Paris, walk 15 minutes in any direction and odds are you're in a less uh, overcrowded part of Paris that um, these gifts of travel that we've always had, I think it'll be a time to remind us. And I think since we've been quarantined so long that being in that new place and, being able to appreciate the simplest things, the smells and the sights and the tastes and just being so grateful and so thankful into this place. I think one, it'll make us less likely to to crowd into the tourist attractions when in in fact being in any neighborhood in Paris would be a blessing right now, as opposed to being in your your top five bucket list Mm -hmm. of, of Paris. And then also just falling in love with places in relation to yourself and not worrying about performing it for Instagram or the whole FOMO idea, um, the the idea of fear of missing out, like being in one place, this didn't used to happen. I mean, you used to take a cruise ship to the other side of the world and you weren't competing with anybody else because you were stuck with where where you were. I'm thinking of the 19th century. Well, now you can actually, you can be in Bali and be a little bit jealous of the other travelers who are in Milan right now because it, it feels like maybe they're making a better decision about this. Well, I think hopefully this can remind us that it's a blessing to be anywhere in the world. You know, it's a blessing to be throwing yourself into a place, again, in relation to yourself. It doesn't matter what other trips people are having. It doesn't matter what the top 10 lists are telling, where the top 10 lists are telling you to go. Um, it's, it's finding that random bocce game on the, the Washington mall. It's, um, Sitting down and having a meal full of food that you you didn't expect to have before. You know, it's interesting. That I keep going back to my parents because I see them all the time. I'm sort of stuck with them. They ate Ethiopian food for the first time in Philadelphia. And that was as moving for them in their experience of Philadelphia as any of the things that they were supposed to see in Philadelphia. Well, Well, good for them. I mean, these are the surprises that make travel so amazing that they got a little glimpse of Ethiopia in Philadelphia in a way that was awesome. The same thing, they ate Korean food and Lebanese food in Paris. And um, I think again, that, that naive wonder that underpins the way we are when, with, with kids or the way I travel with my parents sometimes, that my parents in their own naivety remind me of what is exciting about travel. And it's not that perfectly filtered Instagram photo, not to knock Instagram, I use it too. It's not standing in line for that tourist attraction, which they're awesome, but also maybe it's not standing in line for that awesome restaurant on the other side of town or talking to someone who's practicing their English and realizing that they don't understand you better when you talk louder, but when you talk slower. And you just, all these ambiguous interactions that make travel so memorable and so rewarding, hopefully this will remind us of how precious and and wonderful those are. You know, as opposed to all the status things that underpin travel, all of the keeping up, you know, with with our neighbors or keeping up with their social media things. That at the end of the day, when we get back to travel, we'll think, "Thank God I'm here. I'm just happy to be out of my living room and, and sitting in a park in Vienna." You know, those are great 100%. moments. One hundred
0: percent. And it's interesting that that feeling you just mentioned is also something I had in the very beginning of quarantine, where you know, once I realized, you know, I'm canceling my, I, I had a trip to Portugal uh, that was supposed to be there right now. Um, but once I started canceling things and realized that I wasn't going to go on future travel, the first feeling that I got was, wow, like, so much gratitude, the fact that I got to have any of those experiences, you know, to begin with, you know, so many people just purely circumstances of birth, will never leave their home country, whether that's uh, for economic reasons or political reasons that they're not allowed to leave. So yeah, I, I think what, you know, core to what you're saying is just like having having that gratitude and having that mindfulness wherever wherever you are. Um, so I've recommended your book a ton, uh, but most of this audience and, and also our app users certainly uh, don't currently have plans for a really long-term trip uh, that's often discussed in Vagabonding. And so what are some very actionable ways they can apply the vagabonding principles to their next one or two week long trip to improve their experience so as people are, as people are, you know, sitting at home being like, you know what, once this is over, let's, let's plan a trip for where we want to go. Um, what are some just, you know, some of your tips and principles to, to, to kind of basically everything you're saying to
1: reset and, and have a different experience when they're when they're there? The biggest one might seem counterintuitive because I'm sure everybody, including me, is chomping at the bit. They're just like, oh my God, I am going to sprint my way through my next trip. When in fact, slowing down is gonna be how you reclaim travel. You take that two week vacation to, I'll throw out Italy and Switzerland because that's where I was gonna go in in May and June this year. Don't. In fact, maybe Italy and Switzerland is too much for two weeks. Go to one place, go to two places for that one or two weeks trip. And let the place flow through you. Don't just sprint through six places in two weeks. Go to one or two places and really get to know them well. Um, Because uh, one privilege of long-term travel, of vagabonding style travel, is that if you have a year, then you can go slow. That you can tick a lot of things off your bucket list, yet you have the time to take things slow. Conversely, people think, oh, I have a week or two to travel. I'm going to try and pack some things in. Well, actually... You can go to Paris and see 10 things in a day, or you can go to Paris and have a three-hour lunch, which is more representatively Parisian. Probably that that three-hour lunch. You're going to be eating lunch in a way that is more representative of France. Parisian people don't see 10 10 museums (laughs) and monuments in a day. Come on. Or in a lifetime. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, So give yourself permission to just go slow and remember that that's actually travel, that you can experience you can experience Italy by just going to Rome and walking around within 10 square blocks of your Airbnb, and getting to know the um, the guy that runs the corner store, getting to know the woman who runs the restaurant that you that figures out what you like to eat and maybe throws some new ingredients in into your your dish every day, and just realize that that counts as travel too. Regardless of how we micromanage our home lives, that one great way to celebrate our ability to travel again will be to take that two week vacation, going to one place and just savoring it as slowly as possible.
0: It's really good advice. Um, And so when I announced this, uh, you know, this live event, uh, one of the questions that I got a lot from our community uh, and it especially resonated with me because, you know, I'm someone who, you know, not that numbers matter, but I, you know, I've been to about 100 countries. I've, I used to just average a pace of, you know, two to three countries a month when I was on, on my va- vagabonding, uh, spurts. But, you know, since then I've, you know, now I have two little kids. I have a, uh, a wife with an awesome career. I have a team that's growing and we've raised venture capital. And so, you know, just like a lot of people like, you know, family career or other circumstances no longer allows them to travel, uh, as much as they like, or as they've, uh, they've done in the past. And, uh, So how would you recommend appeasing that vagabond wanderlust uh, if you're just, if if you're used to that long-term travel or you want to do long-term travel, but you know, now you're kind of stuck to a few weeks of vacation a year?
1: Well, remember that you're not competing with your younger self too, you know, and remember how much of your younger self spent time hung over in hostels, right? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of very fun, but in retrospect, kind of low quality travel that happens when you have all the options in the world. In, in a way, it forces you to reshuffle your deck and, and um, sort of create time amid your life for travel and travel adjacent experiences. Now, one thing I'll say as a travel writer, you know, one way to get vicarious travel is read the, read the travel classics, read, you know, travel books are coming out constantly uh, and I'm a travel writer. So I'm sort of self-interested when I say this, but um, buy books of people about people who take journeys, buy books by travel writers, because that gives you a vicarious buzz, not only in the sense that you can sort of walk through their steps, but Mm -hmm. like, you know what is it to be a woman traveling through uh, West Africa? What it's like. What is it like to be someone else? You know what Was it like to be a person? There's a great. There's a great. Uh, a book called An African in Greenland. You know, what a great thing. You know, to, to be through the shoes of a guy from Africa who's going to Greenland. Um, so travel literature is another way. Great way to embrace the mindset of travel and sort of expand your imaginative horizons. You know, travel allows your imagination to flow freely. So can reading travel books. I also think that you need not set limits just because you are more responsible as an adult and have kids. I know people who, after a lot of planning, and it's not, I think travel with uh, kids isn't any easier than quarantine with kids. <laughs> I don't have kids in my quarantine, so it's comparatively easy for than people like you, Conrad, probably for who, who are with kids. But actually make a little vagabonding trip with them. Find a way to spend, a week and a half or six weeks with your kids or six months with your kids and do a family style vagabonding journey. And what a great educational way to expose your kids to things that you had not expected to expose them to. Find a way to take your career on the road. Um, of course, the digital nomad movement has really blown up since technology has made it so much easier to be in touch. There's people literally you know, doing their career on Zoom through Zoom meetings. Um, so maybe there's a way for you to take your career on the road as a digital nomad maybe there isn't but a lot of times there is and sim- you simply haven't asked i have literally had vagabonding readers who have sucked up their courage and said hey boss i've realized i could do my job from home or i could do it from rio what do you think and their boss says hmm well let's try it for a couple of weeks and then pretty soon they're on in full digital nomad mode in a way they hadn't expected so don't set limits obviously having a family having kids is going to reshuffle your deck that's fine um having a job that pays well and that you dreamed of and that you love that cuts into your travel that happens too but don't set limits be creative find ways to physically travel and to vicariously travel when you don't have the chance to uh vagabond in the way that you did when you were younger
0: yeah, that was uh that was 100% the situation for me I, on my first vagabonding trip where I was uh I was in Chicago, I was working uh you know, had a business, we were doing really well and there was one day where I finished three projects and it was you know, I looked at you know, I finished at about midnight. It was uh, a pretty intense day. Poured myself a glass of wine, looked out the window. We were having the worst blizzard in Chicago modern history. And I, and I, I remember thinking like, I, I just crushed it for you know three different companies. I could have been anywhere in the world. I, I mean, they were just calling me and emailing me. Why, you know, why the hell am I in Chicago in the worst blizzard of Chicago history? And and this was before there was you know, digital nomad was really a term, or that you had things like remote year that made it a little bit more normalized. But I did it as a test. I was like, you know what? What if I just went to Europe? That's like a pretty smooth transition, uh, and then went from there to the middle east you know istanbul dubai a couple places where i thought it was also a pretty smooth transition and everything worked perfectly fine and so flew to cape town and then just started working my way up the eastern coast of africa and uh and sure enough most of the time as long as i had access to email or a phone there was no difference uh, in my day but you know certainly the cost of living was much much cheaper and the the experiences were much uh much better so uh you talked about travel literature and I, you know, it's actually a perfect segue to my next question. So many travelers, including myself, have been influenced by you in your work, but who are your influences? And like, what are your most, you know, your must read books or essays or resources that, you know, if someone was going to take this advice and say, great, I'm going to go, you know, put five more books on my Kindle, on my Kindle, what, uh, which would you recommend?
1: Well, there's so many. Uh, and I sort of show my hand on this in Vagabonding. If you if you read it, you'll realize I'm sort of a Walt Whitman fan. Well, Walt Whitman is a poet, right? We don't really think of him as a travel writer, but there's so much joy and individualism and self-determination in Walt Whitman's poetry. And like Song of the Open Road, that entire poem is almost like a, an appendix text to Vagabonding, you know? I remember I read that on my first Vagabonding trip. I bought a copy of Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass in Missoula, Montana, and I read it and it's like, oh my God, this is the story of my trip. Um, And so Walt Whitman is obviously someone, I mean, Annie Dillard, um, who's also not necessarily a travel writer. She's more of a nature writer. She uh, is in Vagabonding a lot because philosophically and spiritually, her influence was big on Vagabonding. Um, Someone... Actually, Pico Iyer shows up a lot in Vagabonding, but he's also one of my core influences. And I've had the pleasure of interviewing him for my podcast recently. And I've met him in person several times. But his book, Video Night in Kathmandu, is about Asia. Asia was my first big uh, vagabonding continent. And it, it was such a prescient book. It was written and published in the late 80s, I think 88 or 89. And just the idea that, we don't have to see cultures as these little bubbles of purity anymore. We have, we realize that the Japanese in some ways, know baseball better than us. Right. And that we fall in love with Japanese food in ways that might perplex the Japanese. And that in a way, one thing I love about video night in Kathmandu Pico Iyer's book is that it says that travel is a love affair. You know, it's about people loving across borders and you know, I was, I, I, I sort of re-ran a, a podcast episode with uh, with um, Ari Shafir, who's a comedian, and uh, we talked about listening to Cypress Hill covers in Myanmar. Who would have guessed that, like, 90s gangster rap was big in, in Myanmar? Well, it's a love affair, you know, that We there's no strong border between cultures and that we fall in love with things across cultures in ways we wouldn't know. And so, Video Night in Kathmandu will always be one of my favorite books for that reason. Um, there's also books that I've discovered after Vagabonding was written, um, like uh, Barbarian Days. Have you read this, Conrad? Do I have not, no. It's by William Finnegan. It's a surfer memoir, but it's such a good travel book. I, like, I'm, a, I'm the world's crappiest surfer. I've surfed in maybe six different countries, but very poorly in all of them. But he is such an astute writer, and he's able, through the lens of surfing, he is able to communicate such a pure vision of travel that I was really impressed with that. Um, You know, also Peter Hessler, even, even books by cultural critics like um, Susan Sontag's On Photography. She wrote a book in the seventies about the photo eye and how using a camera sort of alters how we travel through the world. Well, all the travel metaphors she brought up in On Photography are literally applicable to everyday life because we have this phone in our pocket. That's also our camera and it sort of frames our life. And so, the more I read, the more I realize how travel is, is really connected to all aspects of life. And it allows us to see so many aspects of life in a brand new way uh, in a way that's exciting. And so, um, yeah, yeah. I I continue to be inspired by, uh, by travel and travel adjacent literature um, in a way that's really cool.
0: That's great. Um, And uh... I mean, that's one of the reasons I really enjoy uh, your podcast, uh, Deviate, Uh, and congrats. I saw the New York Times just gave you a great endorsement. Um, So like you tend to have a travel bent to it, but it's really just an exploration with interesting people that tend to cover a wide range of topics. So usually, I would say a a significant portion of your guests start off at some sort of travel related uh, connection, but to your point, it goes very adjacent. Um, So I'm curious, like with you having, you know, focused an entire career with, you know, the written word being your medium for so long, what inspired you to launch the podcast and like why and how did you settle
1: uh, on the topic and format of it? Well, I realized that I was really interacting with podcasts a lot. Um, That as a person, like you can multitask a podcast, right? You can, you can wash dishes while listening to a podcast or you can lift weights while listening to a podcast where those are things you can't do with the book. So I realized, you know, I've always liked radio and music and stuff, but I realized that I was just really engaging with podcasts going back to around 2014 or so, you know, in a way that I hadn't been in a way that I'd inter, in, interacted with books before. And there's actually certain podcast personalities like Wesley Morris, who's been a guest a couple of times on my podcast and he's on, he has his own New York times podcast still processing. But he's also on the Ringer spod- podcast, which is about sports and pop culture. And you know, like, I like sports and pop culture as well as travel. And so I sort of, I want to do a podcast, but I didn't want to just have it be about travel. Because even when I'm traveling, it's not just about travel. Again, like if I see a cricket game, I want to play in the cricket game. So, you know, why not involve sports as well? So like I talked to Ian Mackay, who's the, who's the singer Fufugazi and, and Minor Threat and some other punk and punk adjacent bands we ended up talking about travel just because it came up but we also started talking about his career um you know i've been a kansas city chiefs fan since i was age zero they'd never made it to the super bowl so why would i not do a a podcast about the chiefs being in the super bowl you know and actually this ties into an npr story i did years ago when i was in thailand i did a, a story for a show called the savvy travel traveler which doesn't exist anymore about listening to the super bowl in thailand well if, if my old favorite team is in the Super Bowl, why not do a podcast about that? So in a way, I much like as a traveler, I don't set limits about where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. I love travel and I'm pretty good at talking about it. So at least half my episodes are going to be about travel. But if I run into somebody interesting or something piques my interest in a way that is interesting to me, I'm sorry, travel geeks, if I'm going to do a podcast about sustainable agriculture or about a beat poet from the 1950s, or about a, a cool woman I met who does narrative therapy, well, then I'm going to do an episode about that too. And if you don't want to listen, that's fine. But if you do, you might learn something and it's pretty cool. So in a way, I, I've joked that it's my midlife crisis project, you know, that it's going to be sort of shrug and say, well, I'm not really going to optimize this for audience. If the audience wants to listen, they can. And if not, then that's fine. But obviously, just this week, the New York Times decided that it was a pretty cool podcast. So that was uh, that was good to hear, and I promise it will be at least half about travel moving forward, but it'll also be much like travel. If something else catches my eye when I'm supposed to be going to the tourist attraction, much in the same way I might do a travel adjacent podcast for Deviate. That's why it's called Deviate.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I love that, and it and it speaks to something that you know I'm. Sh- I'm certainly guilty of, and I'm sure most people are, but, uh, you had said a while back that people travel to faraway places to watch in fascination, the same kinds of things that they ignore at home. So I I love that you're coming full circle and also, you know, some of the things in your own backyard, you're really giving a a level of travelers curiosity too. Um, so yeah, we're going to open it up to Q and a, but I'll just, you know, just to, to tie the loop, you know, you're, uh, you know deviate seems like at least from from a public view your your current uh, your current focus anything anything next for you any uh, upcoming trips as soon as this is over that you have lined up or any new new uh, creative projects you're working on that that uh, people should know about
1: Uh, Well, I had some classes I was going to teach in Europe that are looking less and less likely as we move forward. I was also going to take my nephew, poor guy. He was going to graduate from high school. I was going to take him to Italy and Switzerland because I never got to do the Eurorail pass when I was 18 years old. Now it looks like neither of us will get to do it at least this year. Uh, And I was going to do some essays and probably some podcasting. The funny thing is, is my nephew is on TikTok. I don't know if you uh, ever have seen TikTok. Dude has 400,000 followers on TikTok. He's a kid in Kansas. He's just very creative. So we were going to do some TikToks. We we're going to do some essays. We we're going to sort of join forces as an 18-year-old and his 40-something uncle. That's unlikely now. I also wanted to do a trip uh, around the world where I sort of engaged with mediums, maybe TikTok, but, but like uh, Instagram. Because I not only am I a travel writer, I know a lot about the history of travel writing. And I wanna, I want to inge- investigate. Like, I don't want to be the... The get off my lawn aging travel writer who sort of doesn't understand what the younger generation is doing with travel media. And so, when the world is normal again, I want to take a trip around the world and sort of riff on the the history of travel media, but also how we are telling stories about the world now. Because I know that um, if you look at my most recent Instagram post, it's a little frustrated about how. I write pretty cool captions for my posts. Most people don't read them because Instagram is visual, right? It's it's a visual medium. But also, you know, I go to Sigiriya in Sri Lanka. I wait an hour in line to get into uh, Sigiriya. People aren't really interested in that part of my experience. They're interested in the, the pictures of Sigiriya with no other tourists in them. But like, well, the standing in line was just as real. I met some interesting people standing in line. So I think there's certain travel mediums that don't allow you to be honest. You know, that's just an example of how Instagram is. So I want to go on a journey... And travel media, even travel books were always accused of dishonesty. Um, and I wanna unpack the idea of how we tell travel, travel stories and how we've told travel stories for the last 1,000 tra- years um, in a way that embraces new travel medium, hopefully in a, a non get off my lawn way to sort of appreciate how younger people are travel sto- telling travel stories while reminding them that, hey, this is an old medium and maybe we should try to be as honest as possible. I
0: I, I love that. Um, yeah, I've always been fascinated how if I go to some place like Somalia and I show a picture of what it's like there, I think that's the coolest, you know, the coolest picture I've shared. Uh, and social media gives its crickets. But if I take a picture of the Eiffel tower, it, uh, it's a viral sensation. So, um, Rolf, um, this has been fascinating. We're gonna open it up to Q&A, but I, will wanna, I do wanna end that. Nothing, I think, would make me happier than to see you as a TikTok superstar <laughs> and to, to go full circle. Uh, and, and when you think about it, like, I don't think there's probably a place in the world that you could go where you would feel truly outside of your comfort zone just because you're so used to, you're so used to going you know, outside your comfort zone. I do imagine TikTok is probably that that adventure for you, so uh, I would love to see that. But uh, Andy, I see some Q and A or some questions blowing up down below. So I want to.
2: Yeah. So so some interesting questions. I'll will start with actually just uh, I think a pretty interesting one. So for someone you know who's spent as much time traveling you know as you, and for somebody who's uh, who's seen so many places, how do you how do you decide where you're gonna go?
1: Ah, oh, that's a good question. Um. Oftentimes it's uh, usually at its best, it's a gut thing. Like a couple of years ago, uh, I went to South Africa because my girlfriend at the time, had some land there and spent a lot of time there. But I also wanted to go to Mozambique and Namibia because they're close. And I wasn't even really sure what was there. I sort of knew it was there, but I just ambiguously wanted to go there. And I, I'm telling you, if you, you want to go to a place and you're not sure why, it probably means you should go there. Because what happens when you get there is the reward. You know whatever you expected that would happen in a place probably isn't going to happen exactly like you expected anyway so finding a pretext to go will be great you know i went to kazakhstan last year because i was invited to speak uh for a festival they have there the go viral festival god i loved it. kazakhstan is this huge awesome country full of awesome people who were their grandparents were living as nomads like a couple generations ago and so Kazakhstan wasn't really on my list I went there as a speaker I was there for four days and I just I was kicking myself for not finding a way to be there for a month because it was clear that once I'd learned a little I wanted to find out everything else that had happened there one other thing I'll add to this is that I live in Kansas it's like the least sexy part of the United States Um, I think I've learned to find what is interesting in wherever you are and people who come and visit me in Kansas are always like huh Kansas is way more interesting than I thought. And it's like, well, of course, every place is way more interesting than you thought. So um, don't be a snob and just learn to find ways to fall in love with wherever it is you end up traveling. Awesome. So that
2: uh, so that actually uh, perfectly segues in a question from uh, from Claire Hartlodge, who's somebody who's been you know, super active in our travel from home community. Uh, where, Where did you kind of get bit by the travel bug? Like, is there one particular experience that you have that sort of stood out and, And is what was sort of the catalyst of changing your perspective on the world?
1: Well, I think a lot of travel has to do with permission and realizing that it's not just a matter of being bit with a travel bug. I think a lot of people dream of travel when they're kids, but they hear all this thing. Oh, you need to be rich to travel. You know, oh, travel is dangerous. Don't leave the country because they don't speak English. You know, And you hear that and you internalize it when you're a kid. And so it was sort of a baby steps thing for me. You know, my first vagabonding trip was living in a van and traveling around North America when I was 23. And in some ways that's my favorite trip ever went because I think your first vagabonding trip um, is, is, is first love in a way, you know, that um, I'll never have such a sense of discovery, but it, that was North America. That was my own country. That was my own continent. It was va- van life before hashtag van life. Yeah, I actually turned it into a, a podcast episode this summer. Then I went, I ran out of money. I went to Korea and I worked as an English teacher for two years. To this day, I love Korea. Actually, Conrad, I think you have Hangul on your shirt. I was reading it a little bit earlier. I can read your shirt, but I can't read it now because it's too small. But um, that was, I worked my butt off in Korea. It was not always fun, but I have such a respect for Korea and Korean culture. I love Korean food just because it taught me those lessons about living away from home, living in another country. And then it was that it was those two years in Asia after that, that I really, really learned to fall in love with travel and, and realize that I could keep scratching this itch for the rest of my life. Um, so yeah, I guess the basic thing is that wherever you, wh- whatever station you are in life, whether you're in a family where everybody travels or whether, you a know, part of the country or a, you know, a, a class in life where you don't really know other people who travel, find ways to give yourself permission through the simplest of, of ways, because I really fell in love with travel, with international travel through these very close to home travels a long time ago. Yeah, and uh,
2: you're doing a perfect job of like funneling me to the next question. So it's, uh, you're, you're, you're a pro at this. So someone raised an interesting point. I think like if you look at, you know, probably the last 10 or 15 years of travel, and this is for American travelers in particular, it went from almost nobody seemingly having a passport to now it's almost like domestic travel sometimes feels a little bit frowned upon. Um, so I mean, how do you think about, and you've touched on this a bit, but also kind of really vagabonding at home and making sure you're you know, paying proper attention to your own roots and where you come from. And frankly, uh, discovering the place that you can spend the most time in without necessarily uprooting your life.
1: Yeah, well, when people talk ask me about my favorite places in the world, I often include the American West, right, or New York City. I mention places in my own country, even though I've been to very exotic places. There's some places that are just very close to my heart and and are amazing. Even if even if you're from Patagonia or Mongolia, the American West has has amazing things to uh, to find. I'm also privileged in that again, I grew up in this place that is considered boring, Kansas. My father was a biology teacher and I used to go on his little field trips, like sort of going off the beaten path, just because he was going on school trips or he was researching different articles about the natural history of Kansas. And I realized the subtle beauties of this state that is not known for any beauty at all. And so I think sometimes the easiest way to go vagabonding at home is to take a different route to work, right? I live near a town of about 50,000 people, Salina, Kansas. I still find different ways to go into town and realizing, wow, this random road that I've driven past hundred times is sort of cool. Um, and so just realize that being different in the simplest of ways can yield rewards. One of the people I interviewed for my podcast is a guy named Matt Green. He's decided to walk every street in New York. It took him six years and he's still doing it. <laughs> and basically walking every street in New York it absolves him having to have a bucket list approach to New York. What are the 10 coolest things to New York, do in New York? Well, I'm just going to walk down every street in New York, and what happens when I get there happens. I wrote a book called Souvenirs. It was the f- my fourth book, it came out a couple of years ago. One of my challenges for that is to walk every street in the 5th arrondissement of Paris. Well, I've been based in Paris, for teaching my writing class there for 15 years. I thought I knew the 5th arrondissement. I discovered I sort of knew the fifth. I found parts of that one neighborhood in Paris that I had no idea existed. So yeah, just find ways to get lost in your own neighborhood. Find ways to do things differently in your own house if you can. Find the crawl space underneath your house. I'm not sure during during the quarantine how you can find new things. But um, see if you can find ways to surprise yourself. Sleep in your living room. Sleep in your backyard, you know, have a, throw a slumber party for yourself. You know, even if you're 72 years old, throw a slumber party with your family, bake a cake, sleep in your living room, see what it's like, you know. Um, again, be creative. Uh, this gives us, this quarantine gives us a great pretext to break out of our habits. And so why not be dorky and, and, and weird about it?
2: Yeah, my, uh, my wife and I are planning a camping trip on our uh, probably 35 square foot or four square meter back deck. And we're like, well, you know what? Uh, that's one part of the house we've never, never explored. So I guess that that's our option. Uh, so here, here's uh, probably a final final question for you. So somebody asked, you know, what do you do for sort of the, the post-trip sort of depression or hangover? And I think when, when I personally unpack that, to me, that is kind of like the essence of travel from home, where it's like, how do you bring back the joy? How do you bring back the connection? And maybe how do we travel every day philosophically, uh, you know, if you can't be sort of a long-term vagabonder. So like uh, riffing off that a little bit more, like we might be stuck inside for 12 to 18 months. Um, Getting back on the road might be a thing that is really distant from now. What's the kind of the playbook in your mind about how you're going to cope with being inside for 12 to 18 months, if that's the case?
1: Yeah, find find ways to surprise yourself. And in, in some ways that could be ways that, can come through the people you're stuck with. And this might sound weird, but I've been thinking a lot about what would happen if my parents got COVID-19, they are my neighbors, I see them all the time. Uh, We started talking about this, pretty soon we were talking about eventualities if my parents died. Now, I, I, I promise this is not gonna be so morbid, but. I realized that I had not really talked about death with my own parents, you know, who might not be with me. They're 80 and 76. They might not be with me in 10 years, even without COVID-19. Suddenly we're talking about a candid way, in a candid way about death in a way we haven't talked about before. And my parents are like, yeah, why doesn't anybody ever ask us about this, you know? Um, And so I was having this conversation I'd never had with my own parents about death because suddenly I was worried about them getting COVID-19. and, and it was refreshing, suddenly I had a conversation I never had with my own parents. And so find ways to cover new conversational ground with the people you're stuck with. Find ways to explore new things. That Thai recipe you got in Thailand, I must be missing food, uh, Thai food right now because I keep mentioning it, Thailand in the context of food. Um, find ways to teach the people you're stuck with how to, how to do Thai food. Maybe for one day, have it be a Korean household where if you don't take your shoes off at the door, you're being rude you know, and you've got to be um, barefoot. You've got to be in your socks. And guess what? In Korean houses, most of the time you, you pull out a table and you eat on the floor, right? A traditional way to eat Korean food in a, in a lot of Korean or a lot of Asian cultures is to sit on the floor and, uh, and share your food instead of having these individualistic borders around your plate. This is my portion. This is your portion. Eat as a family. Find ways, not just just sort of the marquee ways of experiencing other cultures, but those, those tiny ways too. And this applies to family. I I guarantee you that, you know, a Korean family or probably a Thai family, they know their grandparents in ways that you haven't because they live in their house with their grandparents. Right? So find ways to engage your environment in ways that you sort of discovered and thought were awesome in a, in an overseas sense. Um, and and sometimes, again, this might be a way to, actually, I'm sort of riffing here, but uh, I played a game called Go Stop when I was in Korea. Why not find a, a dumb little card or domino game that people live on the other side of the world? It was an awesome way of engaging with Egypt or with you know Cambodia while you were there. Why not teach it to your kids or to your parents or, or something else? Like these little ways that people pass boredom um, in other parts of the world, why not why not pass the time with these strange little games? And I guarantee you can find a way to play on YouTube while you're at home. So, um, just find ways to surprise yourself. Find ways to learn things that you had no idea that you could learn because now you have this time to pass the time you could watch, you know, that YouTube, like, my Chiefs won the Super Bowl, so I've watched a lot of those replays on, on YouTube. Maybe it's time for me to learn that card game that, uh, that I learned while I was in Egypt. Um, again, challenge yourself in goofy, dorky ways right now.
2: That's, uh, that's a really, really awesome suggestion. Actually, one thing I think we're gonna do right after this, just to keep riffing on that, is um, we're gonna post a question in the, the Travel From Home Trip Scout Nation Facebook group. And let's actually just suggest what board games are in your country that everybody else should, should go buy. Um, so love, love that. And you know, that's, that's particularly actionable. Um, one last question that I, uh, that I love, and it's kind of in the spirit of right now of like everybody thinking about how do we just kind of help each other? Um, Rob Monson, world-class gentleman question says, he really wants to read Vagabonding. Uh, where should he buy it? So it maximizes the benefit to you?
1: Uh, well, um, Get the audio book or the ebook, which an advantage in this situation is they arrive instantaneously. They reduce the chances that um, they'll be carrying some sort of virus residue via via postal service. Although it occurs to me that there's people like mailmen, grocery workers, healthcare workers who don't have the privilege of being bored and learning how to cook f- Thai food at home right now. So be extra nice to them. I know that there's sometimes, sometimes as travelers, it's good for us to be cognizant of people we interact with. That's something to keep in mind right now. Is is the, the people who don't have the privilege of being bored right now, uh, but yeah, the vagabonding audiobook is a great way. One, you can wash your dishes and listen to vagabonding. Uh, if you're not into audiobooks, the uh, the ebook, and actually just because of the way that the the publishing world is, I'll make a few more cents off of those books than if you buy the paper version anyway. And then you don't have to wait for the mailman to bring it. Fantastic, Ralph. You
0: also inspired me uh, last year when. Uh, and I had a one year old kid and but I decided to make a tradition in the family to celebrate every single national day in the world. And so to make dinner just you know, that day, whatever we have for dinner would be, you know, from Senegal or from Myanmar or from Kazakhstan. And uh, and then we, you know, we'd listen to music from that place, we would talk about it, I would share pictures, and uh, the first week has like twelve national days. And then after there, there was like a week long delay. So I just lost the (laughs) habit and forgot about it. But I I think this is a perfect time to pick that, uh, pick that practice back up. So thanks. Thanks for the reminder. You bet. Uh, Rolf, we're going to give you a, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say, I've given all this great advice that I haven't actually lived yet. So I'm going to have to listen to recording of this and think, Oh Yeah in minute 22 I gave some advice that I actually haven't done myself yet and so I am gonna cook Thai food tonight so this this will be good for me too I think absolutely love it um
2: well we're gonna give you a real proper thank you in just just a quick second but I'm gonna just real quick before uh, before everybody signs off um first off thank you everybody so much for for coming um You know, if you're new to the to the travel from home community, um, and we have lots of events that are coming up, you know, with other people like Andrew Zimmern and Lee Abamonte, we're going to send you information about that. Um, The whole spirit of this community is it's planned by by volunteers. Um, It's by people who feel passionate about trying to create this connection with the world um, while we're all stuck in home. And so the things that we do to really try to shape these events um, is just get your feedback, So literally right now in the chat, I post a very, very quick survey. It will take you no more than 90 seconds. It helps us figure out what's gonna make you entertained, what's gonna help you find more inspiration and more connection. Um, And then the second thing, uh, if you wanna keep chatting after this, uh, Conrad and I will be throwing a little Zoom after party. Uh, Come by, chat with us. Rolf, if you can make it, more than welcome to to join us. Um, But beyond that, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If this is a live audience, you'd get a roaring clap, but you'll get it from me. Uh, Thanks for for being here. Um, My joke that's getting worse every time is you could be anywhere in your house, but you chose to be here with us. So thank you for doing that. Um, And uh, and thanks for being with you and stay safe and uh, hope to see you again.